Chapter Nineteen of the Milky Way. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Milky Way by F. Tennyson Jesse. Chapter Nineteen. My Four Houses. Two days later, I went down to Cornwall. Since the only way towards journalism that had been open for me was now closed, and since I could not go on living on Joe any longer, there seemed nothing else to be done and the letter from Evadne Culver, saying they were out of a model, seemed providential. Chloe was expected back in a few days. Emily and Little John I had perforce to leave behind, and Peter also was staying in town. Therefore it was entirely on my own that I embarked on the profession of model. Head and hands, and perhaps a little foot or so, as Joe expressed it. My memories of Evadne Culver and her brother Ted were a trifle sketchy, as in Paris, when we had all been studying at Colorossi's together, they had never seemed to count. In other words, they had not been in our set, which was young, eager, foolish, very earnest, and very irresponsible. Ted and Evadne represented the type of which, for some perversity, the men are long-haired and the women wear their locks cut short, a type that really died somewhere in the seventies, and only survives, save for a few isolated exceptions like the Culvers, in the imagination of the British public. And now, apparently, having gathered together a few other choice souls, Ted and Evadne were doing a series of what they called nature vibration pictures at Land's End. I hope they won't paint very vibratory pictures of me, I remarked to Peter, who was seeing me off at Paddington. It would make me feel so like a cinematograph film. Oh, Peter, I do hope you and the Changeling and Little John will be all right. I wish we had some idea of what you are going to do next. I wish I weren't going. What, not though it's to the country? Oh, well, the country! and despite myself I felt a beam of joy spreading over my countenance and the light on Peter's dying away before it. I have always wished I had my face more in hand. Oh, there's the whistle, and the guard's losing control over his little green flag, I said. Peter, good-bye, and mind you write and tell me when you get anything to do. By the three balls of my uncle I swear it, I say, Viv, but the train bore me away too fast for his running feet. By the time Saltash was reached, the fine weather had turned to misting, but my soul felt the old up-leaping at the crossing of the Tamer, and as the splendidly desolate country, with its deserted mine-shafts stark against the swollen clouds, opened out before me with that fan-like movement which is the effect of the foreground slipping past more rapidly than the distance, I went into the corridor to be more alone with my pleasure. And at last, just upon five in the afternoon, I saw again the glimmering marshes of Marazion, saw the misty mount, a fairy castle on a phantom hill, and heard the rush of the high tide as it surged up on my left, its creaming edge almost to the railway track. A minute more and the train ran in under the glass roof of Penzance Station, 
and I saw Evadne Culver awaiting me on the platform, very much as I remembered her. Dark, eager, and decided-looking, and wearing a pince-nez attached to a black silk ribbon. When our greetings over and my scanty luggage found, we were driving along in the high-market gig. Evadne told me about the nature of vibrationists. People must learn to see that it's the spirit that matters, she announced. I suppose you still stick to the old way of trying to express what you see before you. We think it more important to paint the inner meaning of the thing seen, in such a way that the color waves will arrive in their right shape to the person who looks at the picture. We must convert you. Of course you are not to tire yourself out posing. You must paint when you want to. This was very good of Ivadne, for it meant I should be able to do a series of little sketches that with any luck I might sell when I was back in town, and I thanked her warmly. There's only one thing troubling me, said Ivadne, and that's where you're to sleep. Our cottage is full, and all the farmhouse lodgings are let this time of year. So I do hope you won't mind. We've put up a bed in four empty houses for you. In four? But my dear Evadne. Oh, well, it's four cottages that have been knocked into one and are standing empty. It's Clonance. Do you know it? Did I know it? It was our old family place, the small but adorable manor of Lovell, or Levellis, as the name had originally been. It had long passed out of our empty hands, and the present owner, a rich grocer from Truro, had turned it into four tenement cottages. A painter had then taken them and knocked a hole in each of the dividing walls that had been put up inside. Now he too had left, and Evadne had placed the necessaries of life in the room I was to have. After supper with the Culvers at their cottage, I departed to my four houses, escorted by Ted, bearing a lantern, that the last quarter of the July moon made futile. It had quite left off misting, and the air was soft as milk, Clonance lies on a plateau halfway up the hill that slopes from the seaward valley, within five minutes of the Culver's house. Ted and I walked up the rutted cart track, where the moon, shining through the elms and sycamores, made a marbled pattern and shone on the whitewashed lintel of the house itself, at one side of whose grey granite front showed the ruins of the banqueting hall delicate pointed arches and carved capitals, standing up pale and clear-cut in the moonlight. I fitted the rusty key into the lock of the big nail-studded door, a superfluous action, since it was not locked, owing to constitutional defects. I then lifted the latch instead and opened the door. "'You're sure you're not nervous?' asked Ted as he took farewell of me in the dark doorway, the glare from the lantern shining on his long throat with its tremulous Adam's apple and on his retreating chin and big amiable mouth. Only across the upper part of his face lay a bar of shadow, 
so that he seemed to be wearing a mask from which the lenses of his pince-nez gleamed anxiously forth not in the least i answered and i shall expect saneth at seven with my hot water for it was arranged that the culver's little maid was to call me with my bath-water which she was to bear from their house to mine ted said good-night and departed and i went all over the house of my ancestors lantern in hand and up all three flights of modern deal stairs and the one old one of stone where each step was worn crescent-wise it was quite a small house and its charm lay in the fact that it was like a reproduction in miniature of a lordly mansion being built round a little square cobbled courtyard guarded by a granite gateway with a big stone ball on either post the windows were deep-set in heavy mullions and here and there a pane of bottle-glass showed like a round watery eye the only furniture in the house consisted of a kettle that lay sideways gaping at me by the soft pile of feathery ash on the hearthstone of the hall and the things evadne had placed in my room a narrow bed that stood island-like in the middle of the bare boards on which a pale bright square of moonlight was the only carpet and a washstand surmounted by a disconcerting dimpled mirror below my window the evening primroses and fuchsias stood erect in what seemed palpably silver air and the shadows clung together under the tangled stems there was not a sound to be heard beyond the whirring of an insistent cricket from without and the occasional scamper of the rats over the beamed ceiling while the absolute aloneness was as perfect as i had thought it would be i felt too happy to go to bed at once and when i was undressed i took my candle down into the hall again to say good-night to a certain little lady in pearl-coloured satin she lived in a sunk panel over the mantelpiece which was doubtless the reason why she had been left there undisturbed had she been in a movable frame she would despite her lack of any particular intrinsic value have been dispatched long ago to a sale-room by the aforementioned grocer as matters were she still graced the lonely hall and gazed down with that eternal little half-mocking smile of hers at her descendant i had of course greeted her on my entry but nevertheless i now felt drawn down to her once more i remembered her very well from a former visit when father had taken me by the shoulders and stood me beneath her looking from one to the other of us by jove except that your hair's darker you might be a reincarnation viv he had said and indeed the likeness was so strong i could see it myself instead of my dull mouse-coloured hair she had pale flaxen locks which she wore in little flat rings that looked as though they had been damped and then pressed round her forehead her small pale face with its squareness at the level of the jaw and its sharp pointing to the short chin was i knew like mine so were the round nondescript grey eyes under brows as straight as though they had been drawn with a ruler 
so was the funny little nose that was far from being straight at all. She wore a string of pearls round her small throat, and her frock of pearl-coloured satin, slipping off one thin childish shoulder, was kept up by a modest beringed hand poised against a knot of blue ribbon at her breast. The painting was dry and uninspired in manner, and yet the artist had caught that something which gives life to a picture, some hint of the eternal pathos of the young sitter who will be dust and ashes so many hundred years before the painted presentment has ceased to stare with the curious inward gaze that portraits have from the darkening canvas. I stayed and talked with her a little, silently, before a sudden yawn on my part sent me up the stairs to my room again, and even there I felt her friendly little presence following me. With her I soon fell into a dreamless sleep. End of chapter 19